of the important things for me is recognizing that religious belief isn't some extracurricular thing you do over here and say, well, that's kind of fun. And I do that maybe on Sundays, maybe if I've got the time and inclination, but it's a way of seeing the world. Welcome to the Spirit is Lit podcast, a spirit-centered podcast. Join us each week for a conversation on faith, current events, and everything in between. Hey folks, my name is Jacob DeRussia, and I am the coordinator of Young Adult Ministry, as well as co-coordinator of the Youth Ministry here at St. Patrick's Catholic Community. This week on our podcast, The Spirit is Lit, we've got a, uh, an old friend of mine, a campus minister uh, from my undergrad, Ken Weber. He works also with the um, liturgy at Loyola University, New Orleans. So we're going to talk about liturgy. We're going to talk about faith and all the, that good stuff. So um, if we could kind of go around and introduce our guests, um, Oscar, uh, could you tell us kind of a little bit of how uh, you got a little bit about yourself and, and how you ended up in, in the world of youth ministry? Yeah, thank you, Jacob. Well, actually, I've been involved in ministry since I was a freshman in, in, in high school. Uh, I was part of the, the Austin Retreat team called Search. Uh, my director allowed young people to do talks and uh, share their testimonies. So I was part of that team throughout my high school. After that, and as a young, young adult, I continued and then started helping in the parish level more, more and more to the point that I became the DRE. After that, I got hired as a full-time youth minister at the same parish. Now, for 16 years, I've been the Dawson Youth Director for the Dyson of Morello. My wife and I are the founders of Covenant Teen. It's a, 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 com- a community of uh, a young people uh, that, that we help them develop their gifts and talents by knowing and loving and serving God. And that's more in a nutshell. Been married for over 30 years, uh, loving God. That's who I am. Nice. The thing about, I think, uh, ministry, youth ministry, you've got so much experience. It goes by quick. Like, I've only been in uh, at St. Patrick's for a year, and it's been quick. It's just when you're doing when you're doing something you love, um, it just it just shoots by. Um, so, Dr. O'Keefe, uh, would you mind uh, kind of explaining and introducing yourself and how you got into the world of uh, youth and young adult formation? Yes, I'd be happy to. And thanks, uh, Jacob, for inviting me to be a part of this uh, virtual roundtable. Um, my own personal, well, I grew up in a, in a very faithful household, a Catholic household, and was always engaged in my, my parish. But when I went off to do my undergraduate work as a student, I got very involved in campus ministry there. Um, the, the, the liturgical choir also uh, participating in a leading uh, undergraduate uh, retreats. So that was a tremendous experience for me. And it was actually that that said, I ought to be in this work. It's what I really enjoy doing. So I did a few years of high school camp uh, teaching in religious education for a few years and went off and did my master's in religious ed at Boston College many years ago and returned to the diocese, diocesan level work where for 10 years I worked with parishes, primarily focusing in religious education. There wasn't a, a very robust at that time youth ministry effort at that point, but the majority of the church's outreach to youth is done in educational settings, whether it's in catechetical work in parishes or in high in secondary schools, Catholic secondary schools. So that was where a lot of my work was. And then uh, came to Boston College again to do my doctoral work. And ever since then, I've been teaching here in the area of youth and young adult faith. Aware that 
we ministered with youth in the Catholic Church in diverse settings, predominantly parishes, uh, secondarily, um, secondary schools, and then also in higher education settings like uh, Catholic universities like Boston College or in Newman centers in state and um, secular schools. Gotcha. Dr. Teresa O'Keefe, in, in some of your work, um, you talk kind of about um, the, the importance of relationship and that the development of, of, of as, as we develop as human beings and how that is, how the development of, of relationships is so important and how we relate to one another. Um, can you speak more to that? Yeah, it's uh, central to being human. You know, so one of the important things for me is recognizing that religious belief isn't some extracurricular thing you do over here and say, well, that's kind of fun. And I do that maybe on Sundays, maybe if I've got the time and inclination, but it's a way of seeing the world. And so part of this from a Catholic theological perspective is to say humans as created persons are related to everything and, and foundationally related to the, the God who made them. Um, and whether we recognize it or not, we are in relationship. Now, what happens in adolescence is you begin to gain the cognitive capacity to realize the ear in relationships with people. It takes a long time before these kind of stuff that's in your life, parents, friends, you know, are actually people in their own right. And that maybe there's this thing called a relationship between them. And part of it is realizing, oh, maybe there's a relationship with the creator um, that we express most immediately as a relationship with Jesus Christ and for lots of different reasons. But one is that makes that attractive or, or at least more easily recognizable to the young person is that as a human person, he, he is relatable. That is a historic person, Jesus Christ has some relatableness to us. But it is in that relationship with Jesus Christ that we recognize in a particular kind of way how God is constantly in relationship with and communicating with the world that God created. Right? So I think central to maturation and good maturation, not just getting older, everybody's just gonna get older unless they die, but maturing is to realize I'm in relationship. I'm in relationship with, with important people. People are important to me, my, my family, uh, my close friends, maybe romantic interests, but I'm also in relationship with the person who drives the bus, the person working at the grocery store, uh, anybody. There's a, there's a human connection there that I ought to um, pay attention to and learn how to, to live into. And then beyond that, there's also a relationship with the rest of the created order, the environment um, and all that it contains. So it's one of those things that once you start, you are never done. You know, and you get better at it, but you're never like, oh, I am like the master of relationships. <laughs> I know everything there is to know. But adolescence is the time when you start to figure it out and, and you refine that skill for the rest of your life. Yeah, and that kind of reminds me of um, what you're saying and as we kind of develop and we mature of how important uh, reflection and spirituality plays into that. I'm thinking of like, um, how father, had a conversation with Father, father Bard, he was talking about how the exam and how important that is. And maybe we, as we reflect on our day, um, you know, as we mature, we think about, oh, I didn't really do too great in that relationship today. Um, so we can kind of continue to work on that. Um, so speaking of uh, relationships, Oscar, um, from my experience, I've seen that, you know, there's something special about having um, leadership and having uh, within youth ministry, having 
relationships formed. Can you speak to the kind of the importance of having team leadership within um, ministry programs? Well, team leadership uh, for me is built on that relationship and that encounter with Christ. And if we look at, uh, I use, well, let's just say our ministries, uh, uh, programs, activities, everything that we do is really to form discipleship uh, so they can go out and evangelize. That's our main goal of our youth ministry uh, or, or the mission of the church. You know, form disciples, go out, go, more disciples to continue the evangelization. The thing is, um, when it comes to, to leadership, you know, the person has to be able to have that in personal encounter with Christ and walk with that, walk in that relationship with, with Christ. If not, I would say, um, you know, we have a lot of Christians and we can say, I'm a Christian, but the problem is how far are you walking with Jesus? You know, with that relationship, how far are you away from, are you at the, where you can hear him? Are you just a, a few uh, feet away? Or are you still following Jesus Christ two miles where you can barely see him, you know, especially here in the panhandle that you can see for miles. So depending how far you are, that's your relationship with, with, with the Lord. Even if you had an encounter, but your relationship could go far. We had to think about with the ministry of Jesus Christ. When he, uh, when he, when he called, the, let's say, the, the 5,000, when he fed the 5,000 in Matthew 14. Okay, they all were there. They were all listening to him, but they never built that relationship. They just they were just there for to get something, right? To receive something, but the relationship was never built. When it comes to the relationship, or uh, in order for you to have leadership, you know you have to understand that the closer you are to Christ, you have to build that leadership. And Jesus Christ, think about it. At one point in Luke chapter ten, I think he believed he sent seventy or seventy-two out, but he was having a relationship with those seventy in total, right? And he sent them out and they came out happy and even demons obey us, right? Uh, but there was a relationship built. But I, but after that, I still go in the, in, into leadership and forming leaderships to the next level as Jesus Christ did. You think, I, I look at the twelve three one model in, in building leaders. Jesus Christ, even though he worked with the multitude and individuals that had a relationship with a lot of disciples, ultimately 12 were the, were the ones that the relationship was very close. You know, three years walking, walking with them, teaching them. And they still messed up, right? Um, but then you have those 12 that you're making leaders, true leaders. But even after that, he still took Peter, James, and John several times out for more intimate relationship. Why? For them to focus even more into a leadership style of program. This is this is your 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 ministry, and then of course ultimately you end up with the one, which was Peter. Now in leadership, I believe every program, every youth minister, every 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 DRE, every person in charge of whatever ministry, our goal is to work ourselves out of a job in a sense, making that one to take over our spot. And that's our, that's our job, making those disciples to evangelize, which means uh, I'm going to say everybody's going to die except me because I have different goals. But everybody should, they're going to die. So who's, who's your one? Who's your three? Who's your 12? You know, who's your 70? Does that make sense? And we as people, as, as, as ministers, are to be thinking as Jesus, what 12 am I going to send out? 
You know, what three are going to take up to the side and say, you're in charge of this program. I want you this. I want you that. And who's going to take over my spot? Because, you know, Elijah went to heaven without death, you know. Enoch did the same. So, hey, that's why I say everybody's going to die except me because that's my goal. But I'm trying to build that leadership, that 12-3-1. So somebody can take over my, my situation because one day I'll be heading home, buddy. Yeah, I love that, Oscar. It can, I, me, um, of, yeah, can I respond to that? One of, the, one of the other aspects of leadership, just to respond to your question, is that when you put people in places of leadership, that's when they begin to realize the impact of their lives on the lives of other people. You know, so Amen. for a young person, they're like, yeah, I'm doing whatever the heck I want to do. And then suddenly it's like, no, no, you're in charge of those 12. Or you're in charge. Oh, Oh, you mean it matters what I do? I'm like, yeah, it matters. Your life actually has consequence. Notice what's happening because of what you are doing or not doing with the community that you have. And so I think one of the reasons that leadership is so valuable in work with youth is they begin to see the consequence of their own life. And it begins to matter. Like, look, I'm doing something. People, yeah. Like, if I screw up, it affects people. It's not just on me and like, hey, it's I don't care. It's like, no, this is, that's on me and I got to take care of that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, we, we take them. I mean, sometimes I get a little frustrated because we take them through the sacraments. We take them through nothing, nothing bad because they do need them, but we never send them out. We never do the go part. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So as, 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 as Dr. Teresa was saying, if we never put them into that position, they never go out. We teach them everything. We try to give them all the information, but we never, we never, we never let them go. We still want to teach them. And we have young adults right now, literally still saying, Oscar, well, can you give us a lesson on this? It's like, you're a young professional. You're supposed to be doing it already. <laughs> That's just me. Yeah. We never got yeah. to, the, to the go part. <laughs> yeah. And it reminds me of a kind of, uh, um, and I think it was some of your work, Teresa, Dr. O'Keefe, uh, in that, like, you talk about, um, how as a child, the child kind of identifies with their parents more so. And then as they start to mature, they start to become their own self um, and then start realizing like, oh, wow, the decisions that I'm making really matter. And then to your, your saying, Oscar, is uh, it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, as, as a true millennial, um, I, I was scrolling through kind of Instagram. Uh, I've been scrolling you know, over the course of my life. And I've seen uh, this picture um, it's a quote because everything on Instagram is 100% true, obviously not. Um, but it was a quote. It was like, uh, true leaders build leaders. They don't build followers. So I love this idea of um, within youth ministry programs, um, building leaders, building uh, not just the future of the church, but like the present church um, and empowering uh, the youth to do that. So, you know, us here at this virtual roundtable, we all have, uh, we all love to nerd out on theology things and ministry things. And we have kind of like our terminology of uh, like spiritually maturation, things like that, or discipleship evangelization. So Oscar, um, how in, in your work, what's your, um, how, what's your take and how have your, what's your approach on making sort of these um, maybe deep theological, deep faith formation ministry topics more tangible to uh, say like a, a junior in high school or someone who might not be in, in, in engulfed in the, in the, in the theological world in the youth ministry world, as much as uh, you or I or uh, Dr. O'Keefe. Let me, let me look at, let me put it in this way. 
that comes in the relationship that you're going to have with these young people. It's not a bigger, a, a big group that you're trying to bring them more in depth into the faith, but really a personal relationship. I don't believe in this, um, even though they're needed, and I'll share more about it. Having a, you know, 100, 300, like at one point I had 300 teens, young people, and I was a youth minister for 300 people. There's no way that you can do that and try to get in depth into the, into the Christology of, of what it is or the mirology of, of Mary. I mean, you just cannot. But it's bringing those and taking the time when the questions, when, the, when, the, when a question is asked, taking the opportunity as, um, as Jesus Christ did to, to, uh, on the walk to MS. It was a one and two. Let's talk. Let's walk together. Let's find where are you at. What are you thinking? You know, that's the time that you take. And I, I believe that uh, it takes the whole church to make that happen. That we as a church should always take the time to listen and bring those young people, wherever their faith is at, to the next level. Take every opportunity of whatever they're asking and, and change it around and say, this is where what the Lord is trying to uh, move us to the next level. Because the, every question is going to be different for every believer, uh, depending on where they're at. I mean, we, we, I know the older you get, <laughs> like me, the older you get, it's like the, the, the more value uh, life becomes, uh, the faith goes stronger. Um, not that you don't, as a young person, you don't have it. But when you're searching for more, and you're searching for more. The young people are on the same search. And they would, if, and even in a regular conversation, our job is to bring them to a deeper faith in every conversation. Whatever is going on around us, how can, what's going on in the community, how can we bring every person to a, into a stronger faith? But it's a, it's, a, it's a more personal relationship with them. That means we know what they're going through. We know how they're feeling. We know what they're lacking and we know what their strengths are. And as we walk with them, it's a harder way of doing it, but it's the better way of doing it. I always think about Jesus Christ. He took the time with the woman at the, at the well. You think about it. He went to where she was and ministered to her. She didn't, she didn't start talking about the kingdom of God. He was asking about water, something basic, a need. And then... He said, if you would ask me, I'll give you living water. He started with something that she understood, and even though she didn't get it, but he went beyond. Does that make sense? That's what we're supposed to do. Talk to the person wherever they're at and bring them to a higher level of that faith. Just like Jesus Christ did with the, the Samaritan woman. Even I'm even going to put in there, even though it was a cultural differences, and, and cultural uh, things that were not supposed to happen. He broke that culture. He broke everything to bring it to the next level. We are supposed to be doing the same thing. And it's really a personal encounter with those people one at a time. We're not here to save the world. Jesus did that. We're here to help people grow, you know, Water that seed or plant that seed. That's our job. And let the Holy Spirit just let it blossom. Praise God. That's what I think. Yeah, that's, I love that. Like, and I love what you said about just taking the time and meeting them uh, exactly like where they are. Like with a middle schooler, it might be um, 
they love playing Fortnite or something. I don't know. Like meet them. And <laughs> How's your Fortnite going? And then relate that back to God or something. No, I love that. I mean, planting those seeds, as you said, but, but it does take time. Um, and a lot of that now, um, I don't know for how, it varies for different locations, but for us, a lot of that has been um, through technology, through Zoom, through social media and things like that. Um, Dr. O'Keefe, you, you have spoken on this, you've got some work on this, um, kind of this, the idea of um, the, the, the difference between either like managing connections or building relationships and how, um, how so you know, with that being said, my question to you is, is uh, what's your take on, an, um, on how, uh, to what extent can technology be helpful and to maybe what extent can it be harmful and within the context of faith formation development? Mm, good. Those are good questions. And because of the, the pandemic, our relationship with technology is changing dramatically uh, because it is the way that we're having to connect with so many people. Uh, but I think there's a lot of stuff to pay attention to. In, in many ways, the technology that we're dealing with, even though it may have been around for much of the lives of the young people that we're talking with, as a phenomenon in the human community, it's a really, really recent development. And in a lot of ways, we haven't really figured out how to live with it normally. Um, so one of the things to pay attention to is the, the technology itself has its own practices, has its own ways of engaging, and it allows people to scan. And that's what a lot of people, a lot of technology is designed just for scanning, right? Like your Instagram, you're just kind of running through the post, Facebook, the same sort of thing. So scan, 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 it wasn't this fun. But um, you have to, develop your own disciplines about how much scanning do I do? Why do I do it? And what am I really looking for? And when do I stop that and, and dive more deeply into something? Now, sometimes the things we dive deeply into are things that they're designed to ha actually have us dive deeply into because they're in a sense kind of designed to be compulsive. <laughs> so like online gaming or, or, you know, whatever the games are on your phone or, or wherever that you're, you're drawn into it or you know, obsessive YouTube watching. You know, the problem with that is you, you can't not compare yourselves to the lives of other people here. And this little device, these lives are so fascinating and compelling. You're like, and they're all so much better than your own or they're all so much more tragic than your own. And whatever it is, you're constantly comparing yourself to them, whoever that they are and finding yourself inadequate. The challenge with that is that humans, I mean, ever since we had uh, Adam and Eve taken bites of the fruit in the garden, humans have always felt inadequate. You know, the serpent saying, oh, if, if you had a little, you'd feel better about yourself. And they're like, well, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, humans have been doing that since before time. So to notice that our sense of inadequacy is just in a sense kind of woven into who we are as creatures that we never feel complete if you get, you have to kind of train yourself to get used to that. And you have to then also look to places that really do affirm who you are as a valuable human person. And go back to the beginning of the discussion, that sense of deep abiding value only happens in the context of relationships with real people who know you for who you really are and affirm you in that and say, yeah, yeah, we know all about you, your good stuff, your bad stuff, and we wouldn't change it for the world. You are wonderful. So keep showing up and keep being who you are. Now, again, the challenge is sometimes technology can aid in that. It can deepen those relationships. It can maintain connections that otherwise would be really too tenuous. Uh, and other times it's a distraction from those relationships. 
So I think that those are just a couple of things you have to pay attention to. It can be an aid, it can be a distraction. But even something like this, great little podcast that we're developing here, is a chance for us to make connections with people that we never knew before and hear an idea that we never heard before. Um, but we also have to watch out that the endless good ideas also itself can be its own compulsion. You know, to be able to, going back to your uh, conversation with uh, Bark Ager, to, to kind of abide in deeply one idea well, so the richness of it comes through, takes a different kind of discipline than much of our technology is designed to um, encourage. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Like, it, it seems like there, there has to be a level of discernment to our own personal discernment. Like, at one point, am I using this technology as, as a tool that's helpful for like the greater common good as a maybe a Jesuit term might be? Or to what extent am I using this technology that's actually maybe harmful? Um, yeah. So Oscar, with your experience, I'm wondering, um, you've, you've, you've had several different uh, experiences in several years of within youth ministry and formation um, and with larger populations and things like that. Um, what, what are some, 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 some tactics and some, some, some practices that you have incorporated to create a space that, uh, that helps facilitate a safe space for severally, several different folks coming in from maybe different cultures, different uh, faith, uh, faith practices of the Catholic faith. How do you make it a safe space for diverse uh, faith practices when you have, say, like a, a group of, of a thousand diocesan retreat or something like that? Um, every program that we have, that, that, and this is what I share with all my youth ministers, uh, to look at the comprehensive model of uh, approach to youth ministry and everything that you do, whether it's a one event or a weekly gathering. Now, and give them the choice to the young people. Let me just tell you uh, one of the things that we, uh, at one point when I was a parish minister, we had a, almost a four and a half hour, sometimes five, gathering of one night. Literally, it was one night. But the teens were uh, invited to come whenever they wanted to. It was not like, Johnny, are you here? Martha, here? None of that classroom style. It was people would just come. All my team was allowed to know the people, have that relationship with 12 or 10 or 12 people. That's it. They were looking for their 12, and if they didn't have them, then they would call them and find out, hey, we missed you, whatever. And really, it started with a, an educational mass where the priest would teach the mass, not just say the mass. Uh, leadership was involved. Everybody was involved. Uh, actually, we had like a, father would do like a two uh, two sentence homily, and a young person. Oh, dang it! Oh no, he's gone. I'll ask the question again once he comes back. Oh, he's returning. <laughs> okay. Yes. If you yeah, want, Oscar, if you want to just kind of start at the beginning of that, and then we uh, we can edit it. Okay. Now, it just depends whether, whether you're talking about a one activity or a weekly gathering. Let me tell you about a weekly gathering that, that we used to do that consisted about four to five hours. It started with an educational match where the priest actually uh, educated the, the young people section by section every week. Now, with that, uh, everybody was involved. Even the homily was about like one or two sentences from the priest, and a young person would do a reflection. Now, 
And then after that, we had like a very Pentecostal gathering with a keynote, a motiv motivational presenter with activities. Uh, and it was almost like a very one hour of just having fun, but with about 50 minutes of Jesus. The rest was just fun. So people were comfortable there. Now, those that wanted more in depth, more meaty, we had the small groups uh, by faith level, not by grade level, because you can have a senior that doesn't even know the Hail Mary, right? Well, we have those that at that point. But more meaty, and they will go to those groups. That's about another hour. After that, we had the ending, which it was more of a praise and worship. Uh, uh, where we stand and we prayed, and we challenged the young people. No, that's good. And that, that reminds me of uh, the, the way that you're like kind of laying out the structure. You've got some talks, you've got some small groups, you've got obviously the gather and kind of the send. Um, very similar to what we have, uh, the structure, uh, you, you both might be familiar with like the life team structure as well as the edge structure. Um, and as I was kind of trained in that, I was told that like the edge structure is very similar to, it's based off of the mass. You have the gather, you have the proclaim, you have the break and the send. In, a sim, in the same way that in Mass, you kind of gather, you say, hey, how's it going? Good to see you again. Um, and then you have the uh, proclaim. We proclaim the liturgy of the word. I proclaim the word of God. And, and then the break, um, it's like the, the liturgy of the Eucharist where, um, where we kind of reenact the Last Supper in the same way that Jesus uh, his, and, his, and his homies, his uh, 12 his, his apostles, would have been sitting down around the table and just breaking bread. Um, we do that in small groups and kind of break and then send. We have kind of like the announcements we go forth. So, yeah, no, I love that. And, and that kind of touches on, I love how that touches on um, different, different dynamics of maybe different personalities that might come into, into the youth um, ministry formation program. No, I love that. Correct. So, correct. Yeah. I, I, I know for us, uh, I went to two different trainings and the other one was, was called preparation, engagement, reflection, and challenge. But they're the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's good. Dr. O'Keefe, what, what has, um, what's your, what's your um, I mean, Vatican's always putting out documents and, and um, having synods and things like that. And sometimes um, for someone who might not be engulfed in the theological word, it might be tough to keep up with these. So what's, what's your perspective? And, and, and would you mind sharing a little bit on your expertise on, on how the Vatican has, has um, impacted uh, youth and young adult faith formation? Sure. The, the changes have happened over the last few decades. And what's interesting to me, just thinking about some of the things that, that Oscar is describing, the kind of events, gatherings and events, uh, those, those things are relatively modern in our construction of ministry to youth. Uh, historically, in the, in the Catholic Church, Ministry to youth has predominantly happened in, in the parish settings and liturgical life, but also in school settings, whether it's uh, elementary schools or high schools or higher education. And the, the youth group model is a model that really comes out of the reformed church, particularly the evangelical churches. Um, and it's more recent to ca the Catholic world. Right? And uh, it's interesting to note that in the evangelical church, it really comes out of the tent movements. So there'd be tent meetings that would travel around and, and do big events for a couple of days in a community and everybody would come and get revived and excited and so on and so forth. And that tent meeting might move on or whatever. And so that idea of gathering everybody and kind of seeping themselves into the life of faith uh, and then seeing what happens from that comes out of that historic experience. Uh, but in any other events, it's more, if you really th think about it, 
while those things can be very energizing, they also have, can be a hard time sustaining them. Right? And so the question can become like, how do you actually sustain the day to day to day? And what does that look like? And, and very often, particularly in North America, we think really programmatically, what are the programs that we can have? And what, can, what kind of fun names can we give them? And so on and so forth. But what is interesting out of, and including, include in that World Youth Day, which is a Vatican initiative to kind of do a global tent meeting. <laughs> and initiated by Pope John Paul II, extraordinarily popular, brought as you would have known, thousands and thousands of young people from year to year together in fascinating places around the globe. But those who go say, I can't believe it, it was really amazing, it was life-changing. I went just because a group was going and, and you know, now I'm on fire for the Lord or others say, I went on fire for the Lord and I came back a tourist, whatever it is. There was a huge event and a huge experience and it went on for a number of years, carried on subsequent years after Pope John Paul II started it. But what's interesting under Francis is he called the Synod uh, just a couple of years ago called the Synod on Young People, the Faith and Vocational Discernment. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, oh, they're just worried about vocations. And then it took me actually paying attention to all the material that came out of it, that it was really about more than that. What Francis was trying to do was get us to say, listen, young people are some of the most um, abused people in the world. They're, they're vulnerable in lots of places, vulnerable because of poverty, vulnerable because of migration, vulnerable at the hands of, of economic interests um, that want to use them for their purposes. And he said, we really have to pay attention to, to how they're doing in the world. And when he thinks about faith and vocation, he's talking about how do we offer them a vision of life that gives their lives meaning and gives them direction and purpose in the world, okay? So it's not vocation in the sense of necessarily, even though they speak to this, vocation to religious or ecclesial ministry or, or, or vowed life or ordained life, they're talking about how do people, how do young people come to see that their lives matter for the life of the world? And how do we reach out to them? Right? And one of, the, one of the interesting words that's come out of the synod is the word synod and synodal. Now, very often the word synod in the, in the world of the church is considered a, like an enclave of a bunch of bishops. And that's one of the definitions. A bunch of people get together, they're all bishops and they get to decide things or talk about big important stuff. They don't happen all that often, but when they do, they're a big deal. What, what another term, the, another source of the word synod is, in, is actually journey with, okay? So like the road to Emmaus that Oscar referenced before. Francis is saying, how do we have ministry with youth and young adults, that's a journeying ministry. How do we, how are we synodal? How are we walking with them? How are we listening to their stories and responding in that relationship with them that we're growing? You know? So what's really striking to me is that um, Pope Francis, and he wrote a, an encyclical just after the synod called Christus Vivit. And in that synod, he's saying, how is it how is it we create a ministry that's synodal? And he even says, I know you people love programs, especially in North America and Western Europe. <laughs> he says, but really the focus is how do you build relationships? Relationships so that the young person gets to see that not only their life matters, but that life matters. 
you know, that, that life has a, a, a source and an end and a value that cannot be sold in stores, can't even be sold by Amazon. It's something already granted and given. And how do you live into it um, in ways that not only give your life meaning, but give value to the world? And, and so one of the things I think the Vatican has been able to do over the last number of years, and Francis doing particularly, is to kind of frame a mission for ministry with adolescents, young adults, that the people can say, yeah, that's what we're really supposed to be about. That's the bigger, bigger picture. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. So like this idea of synod and walking with, um, and in that there's um, the, the idea and the hope that, that, you know, maybe some of the older generations who would be walking with the others would, you know, mentor the others and hopefully help them kind of guide through this, through life, because life is kind of, there's not really a set of guidelines and a set of set rules because life kind of just happens. And this kind of reminds me of your, uh, some of your uh, most recent work, Dr. O'Keefe, um, in your, your book, uh, Navigating Toward Adulthood. Would you mind kind of uh, explaining uh, this, your sailing metaphor? And I know you, the, if I remember correctly, the, the, the picture on the front cover is a, is a bunch of, is it a bunch of, is that a bunch of boats? Yeah. Okay. Uh, explain? <laughs> I, it's out of reach right now. Otherwise I'd say, here it is. Um, it's actually a, a painting from the Middle Ages that's in a, one of my favorite museums and I've seen it for years. And so I said, when I, could, I, could we get this on the front of the book? What it is is King Malchior sailing to the Holy Land and the, the, the sea is, is pea green. You know, the colors on it are really striking too. Um, the church, the, the ancient church was always conceived of as a ship the ark of the bark of Peter, that uh, kind of like the Noah's ark, that it was a, a communal uh, space for us all to carry us forward into eternal life. But I think um, more often now when people think of the church as a ship, they're more likely to think of like a cruise ship where we just ride along and somebody else is in charge. We're just like on the you know, promenade deck drinking Mai Tais and sitting by the pool. And we're saying, no, the church is a ship maybe better conceived of as a fleet of boats of different sizes and natures. It can go into every little uh, bayou or harbor or out into the big open sea and do the work of, that God calls us to do in those places, right? Now the interesting, so I learned to sail a number of years ago now as an adult and it's, really it's both really simple and it's really complicated. You know, just like relationships are. They're really simple. Here's two people, get to know each other, there you are, relationship. Or it's really complicated. There's, there's breakup, there's heartache, there's joy, there's life, there's death, all sorts of wonderful things. And learning how to kind of navigate those spaces, learning how to live in the world is a really complicated, both simple and really complicated task. And the best way to learn how to sail isn't from a, a YouTube video or a book, those things can be helpful, but actually being on the water with an experienced sailor who, who lets you try your hand at things and, and lets you see what they're seeing. So they'll say things like, well, the wind's coming across the water and you're like, what? how do you know? I mean, the wind's invisible, right? Just like love is invisible. Love's not a visible thing. But you can see the signs of love, just so you can see the signs of the wind, you know. And uh, and so it's 
maturing, especially maturing in faith is like learning to, to sail, learning to navigate because you're learning to read the signs that are visible in order to perceive more invisible but really important realities. Uh, grace, love, forgiveness, um, courage, um, fortitude, all of those really important things. And it's best learned by someone else who's, who's just a little bit ahead of you. you know? So in some cases with an adolescent, it might be someone who's just a couple years ahead who's actually a really good guide. But in other times it's, it's helpful if someone's maybe a dozen years older or, or a couple of decades older. You know? And so this is another way to think of the church as a, as a human community learning together where that little bit of wisdom that gets shared helps you figure out the next step. Yeah. And Jacob, I want to go back to a question that you had really early on. How do you, how do you communicate really supposedly complicated theological or religious concepts to people? And, and I, want to, I want to agree with Oscar. You would actually first have to listen to the concerns that the individual has that you're talking to, whether that's one person, two people, five people. Listen to their questions about, and they're mostly about life. You know, it's like, how do you, why would I forgive this person? Why would I give them the time of day? Why would I care about Black Lives Matter? Why would I do this stuff? And you want to say, it's because of who we are as human persons. It's because this is the way we believe God has made us. Now, you cannot believe that stuff and, you know, model along as best as you can, or you can believe that stuff and you can take the risks of living into a life that believes that stuff. You know, I'm doing it. I try to do it. This is how I try to do it. And when, when people make the connections of how religious faith actually helps their life make sense, helps them make sense of the world that they're in, that's when you start finding ways to communicate. It's not like, you know, my father used to say, I don't think that there's an entrance exam to heaven, except the one that's in Matthew 25. You know, <laughs> did you clothe the naked? Did you feed the hungry? It's not like, do you know what consubstantiation is versus transubstantiation? You know, part of this kind of a kooky question, you might say, is Jesus present for you? That's actually a much more reasonable question. Um, yeah, and to what you're in, and you and Oscar were saying, I think a lot of the times people might not realize maybe how much God is already present within the questions that they're asking or like when they might be doubting, oh, is, where's God in this? Where's God in my suffering or my pain? Or where's God in the joy? They might just might not recognize it. And I think that's from my experience why um, these reflections that we might have with our um, high school teams is so important um, because it allows them that opportunity to recognize um, that where where God is present. So, and, and also kind of to this point is um, a lot of communities now are, might be feeling this sort of disconnect. Um, they might be feeling a disconnect from from their communities, from their friend, from their friends, maybe their families as well, and as well as uh, disconnect from God. So I want to just throw it out to y'all if you had any um, sort of suggestions to, to help people um, more fully maybe understand um, and recognize that God's presence right here and right now. Um, and how can we continue to you know, foster the faith development of, of our children in, in this, amidst this, this situation? Um, if you want to maybe kick us off, Oscar. Uh, sure. You know, things that, that we have to understand that Ministry to reach the young people is a comprehensive model. You know, a way to reach the person, the individual, one-on-one, -on -one, 
so they can go deeper into the faith. The domestic church, you know, the family, give them the opportunity for them to grow as a family. And of course, the parish and the other programming is parish level. And the community, you know, if you, look, you go backwards, I look at it as a funnel type, type ministry. And uh, we have to give the families, um, especially right now, that's what I'm doing right now. If you're not going to go, some person is not, not having faith formation at all. Some just having sacraments. Say, okay, what can we give as a parish, as a church, uh, so your children can go in your faith? How can we help them as a, as a church to, to come about and for them to learn to grow in their faith with, the, with their young people and their children? Great. Yeah, I want to uh, echo that. And and one of the things that's really interesting is because of the pandemic and because people can't rely on face-to-face, but that a lot of parishes are doing really good jobs of building up online resources, connecting them to their parish websites. What, parish websites actually been really valuable for a while, but a lot of parishes haven't realized it. And so they haven't spent any time. They say, well, it takes time and it takes effort. And they're like, yes, it does. But if we think about it as a, as a real ministerial piece of the whole puzzle, uh, if you spend time growing uh, resources, curating them well, uh, you can access things that you don't have to be creating. I mean, a couple of-